the scripture this week is from Matthew 13, 24 and 30, and 36 through 43. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burnt, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out his, out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of the Lord. Gary. All right, so what are we talking about today? <laughs> Hell. Thank you very much, Dave. Anyone else have anything to add to that? Fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone. Pam. Yes. Awesome. What'd you say? Weeds. Yes. Weeds. What else? Everything. Gardens. Everything. Some, Some things. Good seed. Satan. He's in there. Roundup. <laughs> Roundup. <laughs> so Matthew, uh, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and it's three-year cycles, year A, year B, and year C. In year A, when you read the Gospels, it's Matthew. And Matthew has just, he just needs to talk about hell and weeds and wheat a lot more than the other Gospels do. So when we're in year A, it's just, I mean, I don't know if he needed more sleep or if he was a little cranky or if he, he just had a message he needed to say. But we are in Matthew. So uh, Jesus talks about God by talking about things. Seeds, fields, wheat, weeds, enemy farmers, people who are asleep, and reapers. And this is a parable. And a parable is a story that can have many layers of meaning, depending on how deep you want to go. That's the beauty of parables. It can hit people who are just starting out in the faith, and it can hit people who are years long in the faith, and you can experience a parable and the meaning of a parable according to several different layers. So I want to do three different layers of understanding of this particular parable. Layer one, the field is the world. And in the world, there are people driven primarily by good and people driven primarily by evil. But there's a temptation in layer one 
to decide too quickly what is evil and what is good. And when we do, the good gets uprooted along with the evil. Can I get an amen? Has anyone ever experienced a group of Christians or a church who seems to talk a whole lot about evil, those who are on the outs, those who don't get it, those who are being eternally punished? Anyone ever, ever experienced that to be true? Layer one, in layer one, Jesus is directly confronting that way of thinking. When a group of people, primarily followers of Jesus, decide that it is up to them to decide who are the weeds and who are the wheat. And we get this right from this parable, the slaves of the master. See, the master is the one who planted the good seed. And the slaves say, Master, I don't know if you messed up or someone else messed up, but there's weeds growing in the wheat. Like there shouldn't be that. There should only be beautiful, beautiful field of wheat, right? Because that's how life works. <laughs> when we do it right, when we plant right, all we get is beautiful fruit. And Jesus says, nah, actually, let them grow together. We'll deal with it at the end. Uh, Matthew Bruner says this, the enemy, that is Satan, can't keep the seed from striking root, so he works at distracting workers from their preoccupation with the word by overwhelming them with a loathing of evil. If the enemy cannot strike the root, he will smash the fruit. If he can't hinder faith, he can corrupt love. Now, that isn't to say that there isn't evil. There is. On this first layer, what Jesus is going after is those of us who are convinced that we know who it is, who is the weeds. And we go to God and say, God, why don't you, you know, do something about it? Take care of those weeds. And then when God says to us, nah, we'll wait till the end, what do we do? That's an all-play question. <laughs> we panic. We do it ourselves. I got this. I got this. We got this. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> My boys. Thank you, guys. So, layer number two. Everything's true that we just said about layer number one, but also the field is not only the world, but it can be seen as each one of us. In each person, there's good and there's evil. At the end of all things, what is good and evil in each of us will be exposed and separated. And what is evil and unredeemed will be burned up, while whatever is good will remain. But there is time now, Jesus is saying in layer two, for redemption. So uh, let's define sin, can we? I have a thought, but I'd love to hear your definition of sin. That would be sin for sure, killing other people. Missing the mark, thanks, Sam. <laughs> okay, okay, fellas, <laughs> got it. All right, who else? Guys, let's, let's let some other people answer too. Thank you very much. What is sin?
All right. Anything that inhibits life and good things? Thanks, Joe. Bad thoughts. Bad thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Corin. Stuff against God's nature. I thought about this for a while, and I think you're all right. And I think I would add, um, sin is self-preservation at all costs. You're going to work at preserving yourself and your own needs and your own desires at all costs, at the cost of other people. And um, there's a warning here in layer number two that says, uh, Jesus is saying, in each of you, you, there has been planted a good seed. In each of you, there is implanted the very breath and life of God. That is true about each one of you. And because you have choice to receive that love or not, there's also within each of you these desires that go against uh, what God is and what God wants in your life and in the world. And there's a choice to trust God or to go your own way in that. And 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So I think in layer number two, there is a warning that Jesus gives. And Jesus says, um, for now, there is time to turn away from the things that you're addicted to for your own self-preservation. There is time to turn. And I am patient with you, Jesus says. But at the end of it all, there will be, and don't go immediately to hell right here uh, in your mind, <laughs> or literally, there is a fire, Jesus says. The weeds will be burned up. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 14, give us, Paul kind of takes it a step further and gives us an example of what this is. And he says, if anyone builds on the foundation that is Christ, instead of Christ uses gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, then uh, their, their, their way will be shown for what it is because the day of the Lord will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And so when you were, if, if you were trying to test metal to see what is true, you would put that under this hot flame of fire. And that which is impure would be burned off and that which is pure would remain. And Jesus is saying, there is within each of us this good and also this desire for evil. And at the end of it all, there will be this kind of refining, this fire that will burn away all that is impure and only that, is, that which is good will remain. And Jesus is saying, for those of you who, who choose to trust that I am the way, the truth, and the life, for those of you that, that choose um, to trust that my way is the way toward life, then there will be purity left. And so that's the, that's the warning in, in, in layer two. Layer three Everything about levels one and two is true. And there's an active battle happening between God and the enemy, the good farmer and the bad farmer. And in the end, the good and the evil will be separated. And the good will remain and the evil will be destroyed. And this is right here in verse 41, what Carrie just read. And this is where it gets intense. 
the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So let anyone with ears to hear listen. That's what Jesus says. So let's pause. Let's give a moment for reaction to these beautiful and graceful words that Jesus gives. Reaction. Regret. Say more, Aaron. Yeah, there's this moment, maybe, where there's a conscious, oh, I missed it. Other reactions? Mm, That's a good question. I don't know how to answer that right now. That's a good question. What else? Guys, let's, let's give some other people a chance, okay? Thank you. Fred, nailed it. We all have the ability to be righteous and to be evil. So what is the difference? What makes the difference? Who gets to make that call? I think that is beautiful. Any other reflections, reactions? Thank you, Nick. Every community assumes that they're the ones that have it right, while the other people are the ones that have it wrong. And they're going to be the ones that are pulled out and burned in the fire at the end. True. That's why layer one is so important, where we, where we realize, okay, let's not be so quick to decide because it is not up to us. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew 7, don't judge because with the very measure that you judge, it'll be measured against you. So there's a harsh warning in this parable for anyone who would decide too quickly or who would decide frankly about anyone. So there's no way to get around the fact that Jesus talks about furnace of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Elsewhere, Matthew talks about hell and the eternal suffering. So um, for a moment, I want to talk about how to understand what Jesus might be talking about when we talk about hell. Um, So there are at least four understandings of hell within the historic Orthodox Church. The Eastern Orthodox Church said that all experience in the afterlife is actually in the presence of God. Everybody will be in the presence of God. But depending on the spiritual state of the person dwelling with God, that'll either be paradise or torment. Because if all you did throughout your whole life is turn away from God, then being in God's presence for eternity, surrounded by nothing but God and nothing but love, would actually be a kind of torment. We see that in, in Luke chapter 15 with the parable of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son goes away and comes back and repents and is embraced by the father. And then the older son, they're throwing this big party. Where's the older son when the big party is happening? Outside. 
having a pity party. So he's in the presence of joy, celebration, redemption, and he hates it. He hates the idea that someone else that he would call evil is getting redeemed and celebrated. So the Eastern Orthodox Church Fathers would say that's what the afterlife is. Uh, The Catholic Church and most of the Protestant Church would say hell is a place or it could be a state of being of eternal torment. Pope Benedict said this, Jesus came to tell us that he wants us all in heaven and that hell, of which so little is said in our time, exists and is eternal for those who close their hearts to his love. We get this in Matthew 25, 46. These will go away, Jesus says, to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So there's an idea within historic Christian uh, tradition that hell is a place or a state of being where someone is suffering forever. There's another view called annihilationism, which says that those that are sent to hell won't experience eternal conscious punishment, but will in, instead their soul will be annihilated or extinguished after a period of time because it is not in the nature of God and God's love that anyone would suffer for all of eternity, that the annihilationists would say that doesn't fit within God's character, that people can choose God or not, but even those that don't choose God, uh, suffering for eternity is not a punishment that fits the crime, even for those who we would say are the worst of all. And then there's a fourth view called Christian universalism. This is different from Unitarian universalism. This would be Karl Barth, George MacDonald. And, uh, and this says that after serving their sentence in Hades or some form of suffering, all souls are reconciled to God and admitted to heaven. And they're found at the time of death even, there is a way of being redeemed um, after suffering for a certain time. That, and the reason why they, they claim this is that they say eternal hell doesn't exist and is a later creation of the church with no biblical support. Reasoning by Christian universalists include that an eternal hell is against the nature and character and attributes of a loving God and human nature and sin's nature of destruction rather than perpetual misery. The nature of holiness and happiness and the nature and the object of, of punishment is, again, um, that's too high of a price to pay. So whatever it is that we're talking about, one of the reasons why I brought up to you those four views is that for those of you who, um, when you think about hell as an eternal uh, conscious suffering, and you would say, that does not square with my image of God. That there are some views, they are in the minority, but there are some views that you could study on and read up on where you wouldn't have to believe that that is the absolute one and only truth about what heaven and hell is. Now, I'm not giving you my view. I'm giving you four views of, that Christians take. And I think like almost everything, it is then up to you to wrestle and struggle. But I think what you shouldn't lose is, because the point of this parable is not actually hell. <laughs> the point of this parable is for Jesus to say that the, the heavenly God, God the Father, sowed good seed in the world. And good seed is there for what? 
enjoyment, growing, life, to feed others. Thanks, Scott. Good seed is there for life, abundantly. And Jesus is saying there is no getting around the reality that there is evil and there's causes of evil in the world. To say that there isn't would be to turn a blind eye to reality. But at the end of the day, the good news, because in, in a passage like this, and I, let me tell you, I hate passages like this, just to be quite honest. And I preach on them because you have to. Because they're in the lectionary, and you only get four choices. And so one of the things about being a faithful teacher is to say, I'm not just going to cherry pick the easy ones or the ones that I like. But I struggle with passages like this. I hate them. And, <laughs> thank you, but, or and, this, this passage, the good news in it is this. When I think about Syria, when I think about sex trafficking, when I think about the, even the evil that Christians do to one another, the good news in this text is that God says, at the end of all things, that evil, all causes of evil will finally be restrained once and for all. And that's the good news for me. I don't know, I don't know how that happens other than the death and resurrection of Jesus, but after that, it's a mystery for me of when that'll happen or how that'll happen. It's not up to me to decide I'm good and you're evil, like even in this church, right? Okay, so let's, let's you know, stand up if you think you're a good one or an evil one. Go. <laughs> not up to me, not up to you. What is up to me and up to you is to take a kind of sober look at our lives and to say because of the radical grace and forgiveness of Jesus, which redeems us from sin, like are there areas in my life where I am moving towards self-preservation at all costs. And here's the room to turn away from that and turn toward God. And the good news in this text is there is time for that, and you can move that way. So I'll leave you with this. What do we do with the text like this? I think number one, notice maybe where right now you might be caught up in the endless food fight of theologically who's right and who's wrong, and you're going back and forth, and it's dualistic, and you're right and they're wrong, and, you're, and it's just a food fight. Walk away from that food fight, which means that most of you need to stop looking at Facebook and Twitter, <laughs> which... <laughs> so that's a challenge, though, Notice where you're engaged in a theological food fight where no one really wins. Walk away from that. Number two, notice where the weeds might be choking out the wheat in your own heart and repent of that sin. Repent of that self-preservation at all costs. Repenting simply means to change your mind about where it is that you're gonna get life. And then lastly, um, be engaged in the eternal work of sowing good seed. You don't need to be concerned with who's missing it, who's evil, 
who's bad seed, what are weeds? What does it mean for you to engage in the sowing of good seed? Amen?